We are back with another episode of We Going In Presents. I'm very excited about this interview where I chop it up with the legendary Master Ace about a Brooklyn story, his collaborative album with producer Marco Polo, who he first met during a studio session when Marco was interning. From there, Marco sent Ace some beats, and as they say, the rest is history. In this interview, we break down a Brooklyn story, working with Marco, Ace's creative process, being a father, his experiences with Sean P., and where he got that Ruck hoodie you see in the Brooklyn video. Make sure you hit the links to support the album, subscribe to the podcast, and read the books. My latest book, The Chopped Herring Interviews, also features an interview with Ace breaking down his transition to delicious vinyl and that important time in his life. So Ace, thanks for joining us today. Congratulations on a Brooklyn story. And I know you just got back from being overseas. How, how did that go for you? Overseas was great. It was a great uh, tour. Um, a lot of really packed venues. A few of the shows were sold out. and uh, Well, most of them were sold out. And it was just a great trip. It was kind of grueling. Uh, we only had, I think, a total of four off days the whole time. So it was a little bit more grueling than we like. And I think the last the last 13 days, with thir- it was 13 shows in a row. We don't usually do it. Usually the, usually the off days are spread out a little more. But the, last, the, way, the way it worked out this year, the last 13 days, it was a show every single day. Wow. Do you, do you yeah. find that it helps, though, having that kind of a day off in between just in terms of your voice and, like, not losing your voice on stage? No, I I don't. I'm fortunate. I'm blessed that I don't have those issues with voice. But of course, if um if I happen to pick up a little cold or something like that, you know, then it becomes an issue. But generally speaking, I don't have those issues. The the, the day of rest is really just more of a mental day of rest and um, just a day to do nothing and just kind of let your body recuperate from the from the previous shows so i always like to have you know a day in between every five shows or so have a have a day or two off plus we get to enjoy the city a little bit more when it's off days right did you do some good sightseeing over there or any visit any place that you'd wanted to see there wasn't that kind of time this 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 tour like Mm. we went we were in some great places we were in we were in rome um like we were in some really nice cities paris but literally every single day, we were off to the next city with no real time to chill. And then, and then you also lost Marco for a few of the of the dates. How does how does your stage show change if you lose somebody like like Marco? Um, like, what adjustments did you have to make? Um, no real adjustments. Um, I just had to find a DJ that could execute. Uh, you know what, Marco did and um luckily this particular guy named his name is dj low steez from helsinki i had worked with him this past summer uh for the first time um i had a show at a festival and i met him i I literally met him the day before the show taught him the show and he went out there the next day and held it down and so i remembered that because not every dj when thrown in the fire like that can can uh can rise to the occasion, but he did a good job. So once this you know this crisis happened, then halfway through the tour, he was the first person I thought of. I reached out to him, and uh, he had to get he had to 
work out some things with his job, but he was able to make it out and he held it down. That's awesome. And now you first came in contact with Marco when he was an intern and you had a studio session and he slid you a beat tape. Do you remember that first encounter with him? I actually do. Um, like, uh, I don't know why I remember it, but I do remember it. Um, I was actually on my way out of the studio. I was, I was, I remember me being right near the uh, reception area or whatever, and he just kind of came up and handed me a CD. And I, I just remember going back home, listening to it, <laughs> listening to it, and just kind of saying, "Yo, this dude, this dude kind of, kind of I like. I, I like the drum programming, and and with me, dr drums is the, is the big is the big is the big thing. Like, if dudes don't know how to program drums." It don't matter how great the samples are, the loops are. If the drums aren't dope, like I lose interest. So I immediately heard heard the drum program and talent. And although there was no beat, there was no beats on that particular CD that I was I was interested in. I hit him back. I don't know if I called him or emailed him, but I said, um, "Send me some more stuff. Um, I like what you got. Send me some more stuff." And the next CD that he sent me, or the next batch of beats that he sent me had nostalgia on it, had uh the song You and the beat for You and I, um, which is um on on this new album was on there. Whoa. And there was one and there was one other beat as well. Uh I can't remember it might have been the joint for off the EMC album once more, but don't quote me. But yeah, two 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 beats for sure that we used um were were on there. And so that skit that comes on before three where you're talking to words and strick about like hey i think i found this guy he's kind of nice i you know i think we should do some stuff with him that like that's actually something like that actually probably happened yeah within i mean you know we we definitely um added a little bit to it for for the purposes of entertainment and you know mm -hmm. but it's not word for word how it went down but it's like a it's like a basic version of, of, of what happens right and did you just did, when you did nostalgia for his compilation Port Authority? Did you guys start talking back then about like, hey, we should totally do a bigger project? Did, was that something that you guys had talked nah. about for a while? Nah, it wasn't. It, it, that th those 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 album talks didn't happen until maybe a maybe a couple of years ago, mm. um, a year or two ago. Um, he mentioned it. Cause I, cause I was sitting on a few beats of his, like the one I just mentioned, the you and I joint. I had been holding on to that for mad long. I had been holding on to the beat from, the beat for the song "Get Shot," I, because I was originally submitted. I, I wanted to use that for the A and E album with me and Edo G, but Edo Edo wasn't into the beat like that, so I held on to that beat, and he would just always send me, you know, folders full of beats, and I would listen, be like, "Yo, this is kind of dope right here." If you don't do nothing with that whole that one, and so that's kind of how it went. And after a while, he's like, "Yo, you you you've been holding on to a bunch of beats for a while now. Like, we, we, you know, we should do something with with it." And I was like, "All right, yeah, let's do it. Send me more joints." I went through them again, figured out which ones I for sure wanted to use, which ones I was maybe on the fence about, and I that that was the process. I you know I went back, I listened to, I had, I had to be holding about fifteen or sixteen joints initially, and um, I hit him. After, I, I listened to those beats again, like a year later, and I was like, 
these five I'm not gonna mess with, but I like these four. Like, and, and that's how and that's how the process started. And you know, we got it going, we got it moving early this year or early last year. And I, and I think that's amazing that it beat like you and I and get shot. You know, you've been holding and and not only that, but Marco held it and didn't sell it or use it on a different project that he did either, because those are those are both incredible beats. And when you hear them, I mean, nothing on this album sounds dated. Like it, it you know, I don't want to be, um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like it has that timeless feel to it. And is that just based on just your your and, and Marco's outlook on music and how you create, or like like why does it, why do you think it has that? I mean, I think that that's. A, I think that. What I what I try to do is pick beats that can stand the test of time, and the fact that I held on to you and I all this time, and every time I listen to it, because I didn't write to it until this year or to, until last year, but I had to be. I knew I wanted to do something to it. I didn't know what I was going to write. I didn't know what the song was going to be about. But for me to listen to a beat all those years later, you're talking about what, seven years later, and to still be like, yeah, I definitely want to rap over this. That let me know that it's a timeless joint and. I try to have all my beats, the beats that I pick anyway, to have that feel to them. Like they could be, it doesn't matter when they're released, that they have a timeless feel to them. Mm. No doubt. And as you look at just how um, a Brooklyn story plays out, you know, so so you have your perspective throughout the songs, but you're also telling Marco's story of coming from Toronto and relocating to New York and trying to make it as a producer and making connections and people supporting him, people counting him out, you know, right. how did you guys set that structure up so that it would work? And how did you guys, you know, go about creating kind of different, different storylines throughout the album and, and making it still cohesive and not confusing to the listener? Well, because I knew his, I knew, I knew parts of his story. So I knew some bits and pieces of how, it came to be that he was, you know, moved to Brooklyn from Toronto. I asked him a few more details. He, he, he totally left it up to me what the album was going to be about. And it wasn't until um, probably we were well into the album uh, making the songs before I came up with the idea of telling his story. And, and, and part of it was, the, part of the motivation was his dad had gotten sick and uh, he's really worried. And he went out, he actually left the, he left, to go to Toronto for almost a month, um, just kind of like, like to, to be with his to be with his dad. And during that time, you know, I was like, you know, you, you never know what's gonna happen. So it would be great to try to sort of immortalize his dad on on the record by having him his voice on the record. And so, and I said, you all then. I came up with the idea of let's just tell his entire journey um, and you, and have his dad be on the record. And the, the interesting thing is there was a moment where it looked like his dad wasn't going to be able to do the skit because uh, he wasn't doing, you know, he was having health issues. And so we had somebody else come in and lay down the part of the dad. So we had that in our back pocket, but Marco was really determined to figure out a way to get his dad to, to record it, we waited. We we held on to the, the version with the with the replacement dad, and then we waited until later in the project when we were almost done. And then his dad got to a place where he, you know, was sounding pretty good. And his his boy Shiloh went over and 
recorded them and it just worked out it worked out perfect that's awesome and i mean i i feel like that's also something you don't see too often is on a producer mc album it's usually you know mostly about the mc you know the producer shines through the beats but that's about it i mean it's not typical to see a producer's story get told or the mc sharing the spotlight like that either that's why that's why i wanted to do it because you're right that's not typically how it's done but those you know he has a life too he has a story that needs to be told too i told i've told a bunch of my story over the course of the last several records so i've kind of done that but this was something that that i thought was a super interesting story and a great uh way to kind of expose him and show people what his life is about Definitely. And everybody on the album are people from his life. His mom, his dad, uh, his ex-girlfriend, uh, one of his best friends from Toronto, um, the guy who he, when he moved to New York, he actually stayed with his first time when he first came to New York. He stayed with this guy. That guy is playing, everybody's kind of playing the role that they were in his, in his life, in his story, which was kind of cool. So that was the real ex-girlfriend on the skit? That was the real ex-girlfriend. Oh wow! See, I, I just listened to that. My my assumption was you must have just got somebody to kind of paraphrase what had been said. Like that's what I would have done. You know, when I wrote the when I wrote the skits, I was just going to get different voice actors to come in and knock it out. But he's like, "Yo, let me reach out to this person. Let me reach out to Teresa. See if she'll do it." And I was like, "Yo, if you can get those people and they do good performances, absolutely." And he. he he pulled it off, knocked it out. Wow, that's incredible. How would you say that things have changed between you and Marco from when you first linked up for Nostalgia, which is about 12 years ago at this point, um, up to now and doing a full album together? I mean, like, we're, we're, we're real friends. Like, we're, we, we're, we're like-minded in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I know his family. I've met all of his family members. I've had dinner at his dad's house. I call his dad the cedar plank salmon god because he made cedar plank salmon for us. And, um, you know, just getting, you know, it's not just a artist-producer relationship anymore. He's been to my house. He's had dinner at my house. My wife's cooked for him. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a different relationship than when it started out when we were just like, okay, that's, that's, that's the producer. I'm the MC. You know, we're doing a, we're doing a job. It's different now. And, when we're on the road, we have a lot of laughs. You know, dudes can give each other little, you know, digs and stuff like that. Nobody takes it personal. It's just funny. Um, we mess with each other. We crack jokes on each other. And, um, you know, that's just kind of, it's just a, it's just a family vibe. That, that's the difference from now compared to back then. No doubt. And, you know, if you look at a song like Nostalgia, you look at a song like Still Lover, you know, you've always been able to make songs about hip hop and not everyone has always been able to, able to do that and have it sound the way that you do. Where And I don't know exactly what it is that makes yours work and others don't, other than I think that you come across as just such a genuine and knowledgeable MC. You know, when you look at something like that, you know, how do you approach a song about hip hop and to, to make it where, you know, you, you're able to really clearly communicate to the listener? Well, you know, Common, Common was the blueprint for that song concept because he did it first. Right. <clears throat> and so I had I had I had that inspiration firstly. 
Um, and so I used, you know, I, I've obviously I set off of what Common did and just try to do a more 2018 at the time version of what Common did back in 93, I think it was, or four, whenever that song came out. I think it was 93, 94. Right. But it was just me kind of doing an updated version of that record um, and kind of talking about some of the phenomenon of what's going on now in hip-hop with the, you know, pills and, you know, sipping syrup and things of that nature and how the South has kind of <clears throat> taken, taken the reins and really, really have held on to them for the last, you know, over a decade now. Um, and so, and, and to kind of communicate, you know, from an artist who's been in it for the amount of time that I've been in it, sort of like that, the, the idea that, I, I feel like I still fit in, but at times I feel like an outsider um, looking at what's going on around me and not knowing where, I, you know, where my place is. So you kind of get that, you get that feeling from the lyrics as well. Um, just kind of accepting the fact that, you know, listen, it's moved on. It's, 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 it's not really my thing anymore. I don't, I don't own it. I can't claim ownership to it. There's a, there's a new breed of people that are claiming no ownership of it. Um, but regardless of the circumstances, I still love her. And, and I think, you know, something that I thought about is you, there's no bitterness there. And I think a lot of the songs about right. hip hop are always about, you know, commercial MCs are this underground is this labels are this, the, the radio is this, the media is this. You're able to do this without any trace of bitterness. That's, that was important to me to write it that way um, because I thought, that's not what I wanted, how I wanted it to come off. I wanted to just be genuine, speak true feelings, um, you know, ask questions that maybe others from my peer group are, ask, are asking themselves, you know. Um, it, it, it was very calculated in the way that it was written. Is it... it because not only that, but you're also not afraid to rap about your age and or or try to appear younger than you are or anything like that. Like, was that something that you came to terms with or have you just always been so comfortable in your own skin that you're able to do that? And, you know, you are who you are, like, like, because not everyone can I mean, do that either. I mean, what's the point? Why, why run from it? Like, I'm 52. That's what it is. Um, I'm I'm not going to try to compete with it's like it's like if it was sports um you know if i played basketball or whatever professionally at some point and i was considered pretty good and then you know but now i'm 52 and these guys are 18 and 19 jumping out of the gym um i'm not gonna get out there and, and hate on their game because i can't do what they're doing <clears throat> i'm just gonna play my game stay within my stay within my game and um you know do things the way they're comfortable for me and at the same time accept that, yo, there's other dudes coming up that are full of energy and doing it on another level. Definitely. And do you feel though that because you stay in your lane and you really stay true to who you are, that your music is palatable to the younger generations who um, may not have been there for, for your, your come up? Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. And it always surprises me when I meet, when I, because, you know, this past tour, 
I met kids that were 18, 19, 20, like a group of kids that came to the show, one of the shows. And they're all 18, 19, 20 years old. And they're in the front row, knowing the words to songs. And it's weird, it's crazy to me to, to, to see that because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that should happen. So, it, but, it, but it lets me know that my, the way I'm communicating is definitely resonating with all ages, all groups. It's not just about, you know, people over 40, but it's, 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 it's connecting with younger, younger and younger fans. And that's, uh, that's a testament, I guess, to the music and the quality of the music. Right. And at the same time, like, what I love about it is how you're able to really show, like, the maturity and, like, like talking about, like, marriage and, and fatherhood. You know, how important is it for you to talk about those concepts or those topics in your music? I mean, to me, it's important to just be who you are, and that's that's part of who I am. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Um, it makes no sense, you know, because I know there are some artists out there that they want to kind of have this this shroud of invincibility and accessibility, and um, just kind of stay away from reality in a lot of ways. Some of the stuff that they rap about. Um, but it's it's pointless to me. Like, just be who you are. Accept who you are. Be who you are. Embrace it. Talk about it. Because there's other people going through the same thing, living the same type of lifestyle. Right. And what is your philosophy on being a father and and how you parent? Like, what what drives you? And what what? How do you you know, um, you know, look at how you, you know, that philosophy in terms of like raising somebody and being responsible for who they who they are and and their well-being i i kind of liken myself to uh cliff huxtable from the cosby show um in 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 the way that he would often tell stories about what he went through at the same age um i i, I tell my daughter a lot of i give her a lot of experiences that i had when i was her age stuff that i went through or stuff that um that I, that I had to go through, that she doesn't have to go through, just to make it clear to her, you know, if you feel in a certain way, like, I went through that too. Like, I I had to deal with that too. Um, but I just, I do a lot of, I do a lot of storytelling. Um, and uh, I think that's, a, I think that's a good way to communicate uh, with young people uh, when you're telling a story and you're the, the main character in the story. Sometimes it just kind of grabs their interest more rather than just kind of being a, you know, a uh, a lecturer as as opposed to being a lecturer. Just you know, tell a tell a true story about what you went through at a different time. Like I I remember, like my daughter's fourteen now, and you know she gets picked up from the bus stop. We basically show for her everywhere she has to go. Um, and if she if she one day had to like fend for herself and go out and go somewhere, for example, like she would be she would be kind of lost. And because she's just so used to us being there and, and, and my, my wife and I taking her from point A to point B. And I said, you know, when I was younger than you, I was a latchkey kid. Like I had, I had, I had a house key. I came home from seventh grade. I had to let myself in. I had to make myself something to eat, do my homework. Nobody was home for hours and I figured it out. And you got to figure it out. You got to figure some stuff out. You got to just understand that. Yes, and there's kids out there that are that are that age that take the bus and the train to school. Fourteen years old, they on they on New York City bus and the subway. 
going from school to home. And that would be a har- that would be a harrowing experience for my daughter right now if we told her like, yo, you gotta get on the subway or you gotta get on the bus and get to school. Like it would it would really throw her off because she would be like, huh? Like what are you talking about? Like this is this is too much. But so yeah, that, that's what I try to do. Just communicate by telling my story and uh, getting her to understand and grow and be independent and realize what she needs to do to go to the next level of life. That's awesome. And you've put her in some of your music videos too, right? She's in Brooklyn. Yeah, she's in Brooklyn. She's actually in. Um, she's in. I did it. A real brief. I don't know if it's. A, I think it's a photo or a short, short video. She's in I Did It though on a on a kitty ride. She was mad young though, like probably like six or seven. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's been in she's been in I think it's just those two that she's in. I could be I could be leaving out one. I think it's just those two though. That's awesome. And you're also you know, I love Fight Song and, and I saw that you even just got props for it on Twitter with somebody saying what an inspiration that song is. You know, when you yeah. look at that, you know, was that a hard song for you to write? And did you feel like it had a higher purpose to get to more people and to let more people know what you're going through and people in a similar situation to, to give them hope? To be honest with you, I didn't, when I was writing it, I didn't even think about the higher purpose. I didn't think about how it could affect other people. My thinking was really just to tell, to talk about my journey, what I was dealing with, what I was going through. I didn't think about it any bigger than that. But once the song was completed and done, Pharaoh did his thing and we had the hook, you start listening back to it. Now you're realizing that what you have here can really touch a lot of people. It definitely can. And when I look at you picking Pharaoh for this, not only is he an incredible MC, but he has that song Stray Bullet on his resume as well, where he can rhyme from the perspective of like, something non-human right and yeah so what made you go with pharaoh was it just how incredible he is as an mc or did did a song like stray bullet factor into your decision making process stray bullet didn't factor into it but i just know that pharaoh has the ability to embody anything just the way he raps like i knew that he would be like the perfect voice for um for the for MS, I knew he would be able to knock it out the park. So I laid, I you know, I I sent him the song with my verse already laid. I explained that he was going to set the song off. Um, so he had he had the song with his verse blank, and then my verse coming second, no hook. And I knew that I didn't have to tell him much. I knew he was going to just he. I knew he was going to do exactly what he did. He crushed it. Yeah. When you and when you look at that attitude that you have when you face MS and you talk about it in the song about just not backing down and and not giving up the fight, where do you think that comes from? Is that something that's just always been inside you? Like, because not everybody always has that attitude when when facing something like that. And but you do. So like, where where do you think that comes from? I think some of it comes from um, my experience playing sports in high school. Um, you know, we had a coach that really instilled that that fight in us that even when you're down and, you know, you feel like the odds are against you, you still, uh, you go hard. You, 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 you take no, you don't take no for an answer. You just fight to the finish. And, you know, a lot of us guys that I went to high school with, a lot of us 
were kind of raised by in a lot of ways by that that coach of ours. He was our, he was some he was a lot of our only only male real male role model. So, you know, that that fight that that fight instinct, the instinct to just be a fighter, that that was important and I just I've always carried it with me. I've always carried plus my neighborhood. My neighborhood too cuz you know, Brownsville, my my projects that area wasn't a it wasn't a uh it wasn't easy to come up in that neighborhood and you you didn't you didn't necessarily have to be a quote unquote fighter, but you had to be willing to stand up for yourself in any situation, no matter what. No matter how big the guy is, no matter how mean he looks, you had to be willing to, you know, grit your teeth and defend yourself. And so that mentality I carry with me every day, all day. No doubt. You know, you you make so many great points throughout the album and, and have so many great songs that, that raise awareness to mass incarceration, politics, health, family, state of hip-hop, whatever it is that you're talking about. How do you go about making it palatable to the listener, listener without coming across as preachy? Because I think that's a really hard balance to strike. It took me a while to figure that out. I mean, my first album, if you listen to my very first album, I was super preachy, super judgmental, super wagging my finger at everybody else. And when I listened back to it, I cringed because I was like, man, I really, this wasn't a good way to execute my message. Um, but over the course of the next albums, I've, you know, little by little, I've figured out how to kind of spoon feed it to the listener sneak in lessons in there but not hit people over the head with a baseball bat um so uh it took time to 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 master that but i I feel like i've figured it out and people still get the messages and the lessons but i'm not hitting them over the head right you know something too that fans have always said about you is is just how consistent you are and that no matter what project you put out who you're working with whether it's Marco, Doom, or, or anybody, that you have that high level of consistency and fans know that they can expect a quality product. Is, how, do you, how do you maintain that consistency no matter who you work with to make sure that a Master Ace product is going to make fans you know, satisfied and, and be, what, be what they're looking for? Well, some of it is just you know, my musical taste. Um, I like what I like, and... Um, I think I'm a good beat picker compared to some of my peers who can maybe rap better but don't pick the greatest beats. Um, and so I feel like I've done a good job of picking the right music and then pairing that with the right song or right lyrics to to go with that music. Um, some people, some artists, they try to just squeeze a square peg into a round hole. I'll listen to the beat and I'll let the beat sort of communicate to me what the song is supposed to be about. Like we talked about uh, Still Lover earlier. Um, that beat, I had that beat for a couple months. I would just listen to it and I'm like, what? There's definitely a song here, but what is it about? And I would just listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, instrumental over and over again until one day driving, listening to it, it hit me this beat is telling me that this is what this song is supposed to be about. And from there, it just wrote itself. Like, I don't, I don't even remember how. It, once I knew what I was doing, I wrote all three verses. Like, it was like lightning fast, how fast I wrote it. 
Wow. So do you feel like that's your is that is that your typical writing process like when it comes it comes or like what is the typical master ace writing process like? Yes, when it comes when it comes it comes. That's that's how I write. When it comes it comes. I I don't force it. I don't rush it. Um I don't sit down with a pen and a pad and put the beat on and go, "Okay, let's go." Like I can't write like that. Doesn't work for me. Uh, I need to be doing something other than writing. I wash dishes, put the beat on, or if I'm driving, stuck in traffic, put the beat on. Uh, from cleaning up the house, put the beat on. I have to be doing something. I have to be occupying my mind doing something else with the beat playing in the background, and that's how those lyrics and those songs creep into my into my mind. Then I'll just jot down stuff as it comes. But I've been doing that since probably '01 when I did disposable arts, and that's how disposable arts was made. And I've kind of stayed with that formula ever since. Man, that's that's awesome. You know, do you do you find you do a lot of revision in your writing, or do you find that usually the first take is what stays? Nah, I'm I revi- I revise constantly. I know it's driving Marco crazy because I would come in after laying after I don't know who knows how many takes the day before, come back in and be like, I want to do it over. And I'm and I change only one line. Like I'm doing the whole verse over with what, what, one line different or two lines different. But yeah, that, that's my process. And then I might come back a second, a third time, and keep those lines that I changed and change two other lines. Um, just don't like how I said that one. This this sounds better in that spot than that. And that's the process. So he he under he after a while he understood he understood the way I, the way I worked and he was cool with it. So. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not that one take. Like some guys just want to be done. I laid it, it's done. I don't like that line, but it's done, and I'm gonna move on. That's not me. Mm. I need to be right. I need to be right on every line. And actually, funny thing is, there's actually a couple of lines on the album that I listened back, and I was like, oh, I forgot to fix that. I wanted to change that. That's that's a mistake that I did. That I left it alone because we were we were under a lot of duress to finish it, but. There's one or two lines that I was supposed to fix. One, I just made a mistake and said the wrong thing, and never and didn't notice it until after we were at mixing it. I was like, "Oh, I, oh, damn, okay, oh well." But uh, yeah, it happens. It happens. Do you think even the, have any listeners pointed pointed anything out to you, or do you think that's something that's just going over all of our heads, and you're the only one who really knows about that? I think I'm the only one who would know it. Um, because if you don't know what the intention was, then you just assume that that's what I meant to say. Right. But um, yeah, it's it's nothing that's gonna affect anybody else. It's just I listen to a certain line, I go like, yo, why did I do that? I was I was so, but but that's what that's what happens when you're constantly changing lines. You change your lines, change your lines, and then you wind up using part of an older line with the newer line, and you were supposed to change the older line to fit the newer line, and you kind of just stuck with what you got. Mm. So, what inspires you creatively? Like, what what do you you what what what's what are your your sources of inspiration these days? Just life, 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 and circumstance. That's that's been my inspiration probably for the last several albums, because most of the albums are in some way autobiographical. Most of the projects. Um, in this case, it was Marco's story, but um, they've just been 
It's autobiographical writing, and that, that's what that's what speaks to me. That's what inspires me. That's why I'm at my best. If you tell me, yo, just write some bars, just write some hot bars. I could probably come up with some lines, but that's not where I'm at my best. Mm. I'm at my best when I'm when I'm speaking from the heart about situation, circumstance, life, experience. Those are the best songs that I write anyway. That's just me. And I think that's the ones the fans really remember and keep on playlists, and and those are the ones that that have the most meaning to fans too. I think so too. And so, you you have a line where you say on um, corporal punishment, where you say um, group home like Malachi, and that's a reference that a lot of your fans will get, but newer fans maybe that goes over their head. You know, do you write for a specific audience or for specific fans, or do you throw lines in there for for folks from a certain era who will like totally catch that line? That's exactly yeah. I throw it in there for for those that it's, it's one of those if you know you know. It's if you if you know you know, and if, if the younger fans won't know what that means, but if they decide to you know do the research and figure out what that line means, or ask somebody older, then they'll they'll find out. Oh wow, okay, I didn't know that. I, I think it's cool to have some some sort of kernels in there that are discovered later, stuff that goes over people's heads because of their age or whatever. And they find out about it, and they learn about it later, and they go, "Oh, that's dope! I didn't even know that." You know, that's part of the writing process to throw some stuff in there that people don't catch on the first listen. Right, you know, because it feels like this album is something. I mean, I know from my experience, just multiple listens really give you the full picture. Like the first listen, you can see, like, okay, this is a cool album. This is great. Like, I love what they did. But it's not till I think three, four, five, six times that you really start hearing like certain things um, really pop out. Yeah, I've I've, I've had a few. I, I would say on this particular album compared to my last few, I've had more friends of mine sort of reach out to me individually to tell me how much they love the album. And I've been putting out albums. I'm like, damn, so what that mean? You didn't like the last few, I guess. Okay. But people just really going out of their way to say, yo, man, I'm, I don't listen to this joint like five times in a row, ten times in a row. You know, you did your thing on this. And, and I think they were surprised that they would be able to put it on, listen to it front to back, enjoy everything, and want to go back and start it all over again and listen to it again. Because mm. that doesn't happen in the music as much anymore. Right. It's very rare now. And the other thing we've really gotten used to is so many albums are 20 minutes long or 25 minutes long. And just kind of that quick, like, you know, you know, just here's three or four songs. Here's six or seven songs. I mean, you really made this a full album with a real album feel as well. Yeah, I did. And, you know, I know that we're in the age or the era of, you know, super short attention spans. Fans don't have time to sit and follow a story through a project. They want to just listen to an individual record or the individual song, consume that song for what it's worth, you know, dance to it, bop their head to it, whatever, and then move on to the next individual song. And I'm just here to say, okay, that that might be for some people, but with with my projects, you have to have a. You have to be willing to give a time commitment and really 
sit down and listen to it. Everybody, it's not going to be for everybody. Everybody don't. Some people just want fast food. I'm telling you, no. This this is the this is this is the meal where you sit down. You get the cloth napkins. You get the, the silverware. This is not a styrofoam. This, this is not food that comes in styrofoam. You eat off of plastic silverware. This is a real meal. You have to take time and sit down and go through the courses and have a, a time commitment to sit there for an hour and just go through the project and absorb it. That's when you get it. For those that don't have the time to do it, maybe, you know, my projects aren't for them. Right. No, I, pre- I appreciate that about this and, and your projects in the past. So I, th- I think that's something that's much needed. And, and, and I hope that, you know, other artists keep that going as well. What did you feel were the advantages of locking in with one producer? Because this isn't the first time you've done that. But what have you found when you just work with one producer through the course of a full album? It's just easier. Um, this is my second time doing it. It's just easier because you're communicating with just one other person. When you're dealing with five producers and everybody has their own kind of way of working and, you know, uh, you know, it's a little bit more challenging to have to talk to five, six different people about their beat or their production or their mix or whatever. Um, just being, having that one-on-one communication. I actually like it. I don't know. It took me so long to kind of get to this point, but I actually enjoy it. Um, and I'm glad I've done it for the last two projects. Are there other producers that you're like, this is someone I, I should do an album with? Uh, I haven't thought that far into it. Um, I'm really trying to sort of refocus my attention on other writing projects going forward. So I'm working on a, uh, a stage play, uh, a musical, if you will. Um, for a theater company called Rhymes Over Beats. And I'm, I'm in the process of writing a script for that. Uh, I have a uh, I have a TV pilot idea that I've been sitting on for, it's been like, it's been like three quarters finished for the last five years that I want to get back to. Um, I have a screenplay idea as well. So all of these things are, you know, things that I want to have aspirations of really pouring my time into so to think about you know the next project with the next producer i haven't even given it any consideration gotcha and you know i think i think fans would 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 definitely agree with me in saying that you would absolutely crush one of those freestyles like a funk flex freestyle um is that something that you want to do um or something that you you um have that itch to go do is is to do one of those like freestyles um in the way that artists like black thought have just crushed it is that something that you see yourself wanting to do in the future i'll be down to do it but i gotta be ready for it like i can't go up there willy-nilly like like to me black thought black thought really set the bar and so that's the bar i don't care what nobody else is looking at um, if I can't go in there and be flawless for a lot of bars in a row and say a bunch of dope stuff, then I wouldn't go. I don't want to say nothing off the album, so I would have to I would have to literally prepare and write something specifically for that opportunity, which has actually have been discussed. Uh, me going up there to do something, um, but I got to write it. I haven't written, I haven't written it yet, so if I do it, it's got to be something that I write specifically for that purpose. 
Right. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've seen artists go on after Black Thought, and it's like the two-minute freestyle, and then it's like, you know, half a verse off an album or a verse off of this song. It's like, it's almost a worse look when that happens. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, if I'm not going to be ready to do it, I don't want to do it. To me, you got to be ready to do it, and you got to come correctly. You step up there. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even like if they call me tomorrow and like, yo, come up, come up next Friday. I'll be like, nah, I'm not ready. Mm. I know how intentional you are with what you say and on your album. So when you shout out, when you shouted out Gilly the Kid on Get Shot, was that uh, was that a shout out to Gilly, like a like an acknowledgement of what he does, or is that more? It just fit where it was because it, it felt like it could be more of a um, of a shout out. It was it was it was both, but it was really just more. It sounded dope. It fit it fit the scheme I was 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 doing. Uh, you know, I was trying to come up with more words that that rhymed with that, and you know, um, it was it was it was it fit. It fit, so I just made it, you know, big up Jazz Jazz, who he's in Philly with Gilly, with Gilly from, you know, it just, right. it, with Gilly stayed, that's just like, because the whole, the whole verse was uh, rhyming with any ways, many ways, the whole verse was that, so, that, it just fit, it fit, it sounded dope, I said it. No doubt. And what about the shouting out Sean P on Brooklyn, you know, how do you remember him today and, and just his impact on you know just, just him personally and his impact in music well obviously being from brownsville being from brooklyn he's from my neighborhood um he's somebody who i consider like a like a brother in hip-hop and a younger brother and we, we did we did a couple of shows together overseas we were on a couple of festivals together um, but before, when he was, when it was just Helter Skelter, you know, I paid attention. I, like I was aware of just the whole bootcamp click, but it wasn't until this new persona that he sort of erected, Sean P. Um, I was a, I was a big um, Grand Theft Auto player, and he had a song called Rising to the Top. That was in that video game, which I played religiously back in what was this late nineties, I guess, or early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Agalah. Exactly, and at the time when I would play the game, I would always be on the rap station. I kept my car when I was, you know, because the Grand Theft Auto, you're still in different cars, and when you get in the car, you got to change the station. So I would always change the station to the rap station, and I was always hyped. When that song came on, I would be so happy when that record came on, not even realizing who it was. And then once I figured out who it was, then I was like, I just, it was kind of like rediscovering him as an artist and as an MC. And it was like, to me, he was just so much better and doper when he started doing the solo stuff. You know, the group stuff was cool, but to me, when he became a solo artist was when he really kind of stepped into his own lyrically. Um, his sense of humor and everything. But I think the the group concept in a lot of ways kind of kept him constrained because he had to stay within the parameters of what they were doing as a group. But once he was able to shine on his own, it just was it was just like a whole different, to me it was a whole different person, a whole different MC 
and I loved it. And I was a, I was a fan. I bought all those mixtape joints. I played all those joints. We used to play them in the van, crack up laughing at some of the lines he would say. Just an enjoyable listen. Yeah, I, I feel like his humor really came out more and who he was as a person through his solo music. That right. you, you didn't quite catch Sean Price, the, the, the man, through Helter Skelter as much. Exactly. And wh- where did you get that hoodie? That hoodie that you wore that just says Ruck is incredible. Um, where, yeah. Where did that come from? So uh, a year ago, no, two years ago, I was overseas. I think it was 2016. And uh, there was a there was a there was a fan that came up to the merch table wearing that hoodie, and I was like, "Yo, where you get that hoodie from? That is dope." And she was like, "I made it myself." I was like, "Yo, that is super dope! Like, props to you for making that. That's dope." And then a couple of days later so she hit me on Instagram and was like if you want one of those rug hoodies I can I can make you one and send it to you and I was like please do I told her my size she mailed it to me and uh, I held it for I held it for almost a year because I wanted to wait for the right opportunity to wear it and the video and this was before we the song wasn't done we didn't even know we were doing a song called Brooklyn but once we had the song completed I was like okay I know when I'm wearing my rug hoodie now this is dope it just, it just like worked out crazy that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that, that was amazing. I, I even looked it up online after after the video, and it's like, it's not available anywhere. So I figured it had to be some kind of custom, custom yeah, make. Yeah, it was. It's a one of two. That's awesome. And in terms of work with Marco Polo, man, something that we have always talked about was his smoking habit. Um, has that gotten any better, man? Is he, is he drooling now and, and vaping? Like, were those sessions... Uh, any any um any issues with that? No, he tried to he tried to vape the thing for a little brief moment. I, mean, I was proud of him because he was like trying to get out of it. That was his that was his first effort to try to you know get out of it. But then I saw him again. And I was like, Yo, what happened with the vaping thing? He's like, Nah, I read up on it, and it's actually worse than smoking cigarettes. And I was like, Damn! So he went back to cigarettes. But we you know. It's something that I constantly talk to him about, and kind of—I I, I guess I give him a little bit of shit about it. It, it is what it is. I, I know that he has to find his way in his own time, so it's not like I'm badgering him or whatever. But typically, when we're on the road, after we eat a meal together, he gets up and goes outside to smoke. And every time he gets up, I go, "Walker, where are you going? <laughs> you know where I'm. You know where I'm going, Ace." But I just want to like make him say it. I want him. To, I want him to say, "I'm going to smoke a cigarette," so that he is conscious of it. But I don't mess with him too much. But I, he knows. I mean, we have an understanding. Like, don't smoke around me when I'm coming over to record. Please have the room aired out. Like, don't smoke. And that he don't smoke when I'm. He'll actually leave his apartment to go smoke outside when I'm at his house. So mm. that, we have that respect. We have that respect. That's cool. And. You know, thinking about you doing shows overseas with Sean P, I'm sure you guys had some great experiences over there. Like, what, what were, what were, you know, your favorite experience with Sean Price? You know, being, being on the road and and rocking together. I remember us having a uh, EMC, EMC had a show with him at I think it was Hip Hop Kemp, and we were we were in the same hotel, and dudes were on their laptops or whatever, and we were talking about uh, 
different laptops or whatever. And I was, I was, I was digging up the, the, the Macs, the MacBooks. I'm like, yo, MacBook is the way to go. And he was not trying to hear it. He was just so adamant about PC. <laughs> he was like, dude, dude, I have a Dell. Dude, I have a Dell. He was just, I said, yo, I'm telling you, man. He's like, no, nah, I ain't messing with that. I ain't messing with that. It's like, yeah, get that little wheel spinning, like spinning forever. So in his mind's like PC was the way to go. But he was complaining about his PC having issues. And I was like, yo, if you get a Mac, you ain't going to have issues no more. But he wasn't trying to buy it. But I, that was just one, that was one, one memory. Um, I remember another one. Um, I think it was probably around that same time period. Um, I had posted a picture of uh, these sneakers that I was that I was going to be wearing. Oh, I know what it was. I bought these sneakers out for the tour. It was like some weird, like, you know, the company DC. Yeah. They make those skateboard sneakers. Yeah. So, yeah. So I bought a pair of those for just for the stage, like nothing. I would just wear in my regular life, but perfect for the stage. They match what I was going to wear. And, and skateboard sneakers are actually great to perform in because of the cushioning and the support. Mm. So, um, on that tour, the airport wound up losing. They checked my bags, and somehow or another, they lost one sneaker. Oh man! And and so I posted a picture of the sneaker, and I just did like an Instagram post about it. And he saw the sneaker in a typical Brooklyn Brownsville fashion. He 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 replies, "Dude, what is that?" <laughs> Meaning like. <laughs> it, it, it was. This was like. This was like before the, the what are those terms? He's like, what is that? And then I hit him back, and I was like, yo, I got, I got all the fly sneakers, but I'm not messing up no sneakers on tour. Like, I'm not gonna wear no dope sneakers on stage, get them all beat up and ruined. This is what I, I wear. I wear whatever on stage because I don't care about them. They get scuffed, stepped on, beer spilled on, whatever. And after I explained that to him, he was like, you know what? I hear you. I, I, I get it. I totally get it. So I made him understand why I might wear a pair of nutty looking sneakers on stage that I wouldn't wear in my regular life. But I actually had to actually have that explanation and that, that conversation with him. That's so funny. That's incredible. I could, I could really see him doing that too. He was like, dude, what is that? <laughs> I think I think the most amazing thing too about Sean Price is in talking to so many artists who knew him and interacted with him. So much of the stories relate just to like how he how he interacted with people and just his personality, and not like how great he was of, of an artist, but just like how he treated people and like just how how he made people feel. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good dude. And um, despite like when you listen to the lyrics, you might you might think you should be scared of him or afraid of him, but there's actually a, a real good soul there, good genuine soul there. Guy who cares about people, cares about his family, and was a good MC too. Definitely. And 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 had an opinion. Yeah, totally. Very very strong opinions. And and so Ace Man, you know, congratulations on a Brooklyn story. It's it's such a great listen, and and you and Marco definitely knocked it out of the park. Um, what are your next steps here for Brooklyn Story as you as you look to, you know, continue doing shows and everything? Like, what's what's? Um, I, I know you already talked about your writing projects that you have, but like, what's what's your immediate focus going to be from here on out? 
um, we're doing a video for a fight song. We're going to try to try another, do another video for another record off the record. But we've got two more videos that we're trying to, at least two more videos that we're trying to shoot in the next month. Uh, we're going to hit the road and start doing some U.S. dates. We'll probably do some Canadian dates. We're going back to Europe in May for another run. Um, but, oh, and we have these uh, bonus tracks that we've been holding on to. One of them produced by DJ Premier, which we actually played uh, Tuesday night on his show. Uh, debuted it on his show, but we're doing a, we're doing a seven inch forty five piece of vinyl with the DJ Premier record and another Marco record on the other side, and that comes out in uh, in April uh, on Record Store Day. Um, but yeah, because and and those those songs will be added on to um, the album. Because the premiere journal is supposed to be on the final record, but the, it was just taking too long, and it would have really held up the album. Like, the album came out November 9th. If we waited on the premiere record, we would just now be setting a release date for probably May. So mm. we, had, we had to move forward without it, but it's finally mixed and done. Got the features, it's featuring evidence. Um, it's a dope record. Uh, and, yeah, so coming with some bonus joints, Young Black Intelligent remixes, on there as well, um, remixed by my Mark on his production team, um, which is super dope. I perform that at my shows now, um, and yeah, it's just pushing forward with this project. Like this is not a this is not a slow this is a slow a slow burn as opposed to a quick back burnout. It's a slow burn, and we're gonna rock this project for the next the next year. And our goal is to tour the world. We're gonna, we're, I've never been to Asia. We're going to hit Asia this year. We're definitely going to hit Australia this year. I think again back to back to Europe and then uh, South America. Those are all on the uh, in the plans for us. 